Okay, Boker Tov, good morning everyone. It's great to see you. Great to resume our Parsha class. And uh, to have the privilege to study Parsha's Lech Lecha together. A uh, special thank you to Mendy and Sally Klein who are sponsoring this morning's learning in honor of their anniversary. A very, very happy anniversary. If you would like to uh, sponsor one of the uh, coming weeks and have it listed in the weekly, please be in touch with Linda or in the office. As is our custom, we're going to do an overview of the whole Parsha, review of the whole Parsha, and then we'll come back, Mitzvah Shem will have time to look at specific Pesukim. Parsha's Lech Lecha does not begin with last week's Parsha left off. There's a little bit of a break. I'm not going to review Dvar Torah. I'm very fond of giving. You can listen online. But at the end of last week's Parsha, you see that Terach embarks on the same journey as Avram, only he doesn't make it to the destination. Avram does. A big distinction between Avram and Terach in that way. But our Parsha begins with an introduction to Avram Avinu. Vayomer Hashem al-Avram, or an introduction to God speaking to Avram. God speaks to Avram and tells him those famous, immortal, iconic words, Lech Lecha, go. Go where? Normally you tell someone go, the goal is to give them a destination where they should go to. Here, the destination remains unknown. The destination remains a mystery. But rather, Hashem simply tells them where to embark from. Now normally you do that when you don't like someone. So if someone's in my house, someone's in my office, I had it with them, they're frustrating me, I say, go forth, get out. And they say, where? As long as you're out of here. Just get out of here. I don't care where you're going. So what, Hashem has had it with Avram? Get out of here? Lech lecha where? El ha'aretz asher ha'reka. There's an element of trust. It's mysterious. Hashem doesn't tell him where it is because the emphasis is not the destination. The emphasis is not the geographic location where Avram will arrive. Obviously, it's a big part of it. The Brisbane Absarim, the promise of Eretz Yisrael, the promise of the land of Israel to our people is critically important, but that's not the main focus. Hashem says, I'll show you where that is. Don't worry about the coordinates to put into the GPS. For now, all you need to know, it's time to leave here. And there's three levels of leaving here. Of Arzacha and Moladetcha and Beisavicha. And this is not the section that we're going to study this morning, but each of these are, are uh, significant and symbolic of, of something else. Um, Rabbi Salavechik, and the Rabbi Salavechik Chumash says, Lech Lecha. According to Rashi, the semantics of Lecha mean for your sake. For your benefit. There in the land to which I'm sending you, I'll make you a great nation. But only there. You can't become who you're meant to be here. You need to develop your own individual identity. You need to form yourself. It's not going to happen here. It'll happen there. Indeed, here we come across a very strange motif that winds like a scarlet thread through the entire Torah. Beginning with Sarah, many of the women in the Bible were barren. Took a long time, great effort, many prayers, many sleepless nights, a lot of despair, almost resignation, until Hashem grants them a child. Hashem tells Avram, if you remain in Ur Kastim, you will live in luxury, but you will be worthy of the privilege of having children only in the land of Canaan. The word Lecha also hints at action that is not to be repeated, but is final and ultimate. If God had wanted Avram merely to visit the land of Canaan, he would have said only, Lech, go, and I'll show you where. Lech, El but God meant for him to leave the past, to blot out his memory, to emigrate from his country to a new country. A further meaning of lech lecha is go alone. 
God's intent was to separate Avram to break up his life and make him forget the past and start anew. Lech Lecha commanded a psychological break with Avram's past, with his ancestral family and tradition. So the Rav's Pshat Lech Lecha is not, not just the geographic location, but he tells Avram, this is every parent's worst nightmare when they send their kid off to Israel for the year. You want your child to develop and discover who they are, but not in a way which separates them from their past. We are a people that are steeped in our past. But Avram didn't represent the middle of the story. He's the very beginning of the story. And for the story to have a launch, for it to have a beginning, he has to transcend his past. represent family, culture, society, influence. Avram has to somehow transcend them to go on this journey of self-discovery. When God told Avram, the Rav continues, Lech Lecha, he was in essence telling Avram, your assignment is to make my presence known to the world. You must, and this is very important, because as his children and disciples, this is our charge as well. Right, so B'Salavichik, God, Hashem was telling Avram, you must dissipate the, dissipate the clouds that obscure me from perception. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, indeed resides with us on earth. We encounter Shekhinah continually, yet Hashem is not clearly revealed to us. He is hidden from the view. Right? He himself describes Ba'anan, Hashem is in the cloud. He's indeed close, but He doesn't reveal. The hand of God in human events is not revealed, He's hidden. The obscuring cloud takes on a number of guises. For the physicist, the cloud is a mathematical formula. For the biologist, it is a biological reaction. For the psychologist, it is drive. For the general, it's the power of the army. The cloud is any manifestation of nature or man that promotes the illusion that the world operates autonomously, concealing the reality that Hashem is responsible for all that occurs on earth. Avram was commanded to disperse the obscuring cloud in all of its forms. In a certain sense, a prophet is a wanderer, a nomad. He dwells wherever Hashem wills him to abide. Hashem commanded Avram to move continually from place to place with a task to fulfill and a message to convey. Hashem wants Avram to reach out, not waiting for people to come to him. In this passage, the Torah describes the destiny of the prophet. So Lech Lecha is a description, not only of Avram, but of the reality for us, a wandering people, a people who are not waiting to be reactive, but are charged with the mission to be proactive, to shape and to mold and to repair the world. And how do we do it? By dissipating the obscuring cloud. Every generation and every person and in every society, there is another cloud that seeks to hide Hashem, another form of worship. The mighty dollar, elected officials, celebrities or athletes, mother nature, science, mathematics. It can come in so many different forms, but whatever form, it is the same theme of trying to hide Hashem. Avram's mission and ours is to reveal Hashem to the world. Not hide our religion, not be defensive or apologetic about our religion, but to be the offspring of Avram is to wear our religion on our sleeve, not in a holier-than-thou judgmental sense, chas v'shalom, but in a bringing other people close to Hashem kind of sense, in trying to elevate the world to enrich the world around us. That's lech lecha. Where the destination? Don't worry. You're going to be a nomad. You're going to wander. You need to find people. You need to fix my world. You need to bring me to them. Dissipate the, dissipate the cloud so that, so that they can find me. The Nesiva Shalom, the Slanam Rebbe, has a little bit of a different shot. The Nesiva Shalom says, What is Lech Lecha? Lech Lecha, this is very powerful. I shared this several years ago on Shabbat Shuvah when we talked about finding our mission in life. What is our unique, distinct mission? Who are we? Yes, we are all bound together by the same system of halacha. Yes, we're part of one people, which we'll talk about in a moment. 
But within that, there's individualism. Within that, we each have a unique mission. If we woke up this morning, Moda'ani, Rabbah Emunah Secha. Hashem, your Emunah is great. Not only my Emunah in you, but your Emunah in me. How do I know your Emunah in me is great? How do I know? Maybe Hashem has lost all faith in me. How do I know Hashem's Emunah in me is great? How do I know? It's not a trick question. How do I know? Because I woke up this morning. If I'm alive and I woke up this morning, I have more to accomplish. I have a mission. I have what to do. And the Slonim Rebbe says, this is what Hashem was telling Avram, the first Ivri, the first Jew. What he's telling him and he tells each and every one of us is that life is a journey of lech, lecha. Could have just said lech, el ha Go to the land. That's not the journey. The journey is lech, lecha. Let me read to you the Rebbe writes inside in his Nesiva Shalom. He says, "Yesh lomar inyan dinei muva bisoda avoda b'shem ha'ari akadosh ein adom adam la adam yom briyas adam vahala vein adam echad yochal asakin mashachavero asakin." No two people are alike. We don't have the same DNA. We don't have the same appearance. We don't have the same thought process. We're not born into the same family. We don't have the same socioeconomic status. We don't have the same athletic ability, artistic ability, IQ. We're all different, and that's undeniable, and nobody debates that. Therefore, we each have a different mission and role in the world. Each person has their mission, what they need to accomplish in life. And it's why we're here. Make no mistake. We're not here what we can get out of the world. We hear what we can give to the world. The world is not full of our rights and privileges. The world is about duties and obligations. And so on. And says the Son of Marebbe, based on this, says that's the pshat in Lech Lecha. What Hashem was telling Avram was, Lech Lecha. Go figure out who you are. Not as the result of Artzachal Mo'olaretchal Mebeis Avicha, not just the sum total, the composite of your parents, of your society, of your neighborhood, of the culture, of the media. Lech lecha. Go identify and figure out who you are and what you uniquely bring to the world. And that is your mission. And that's how our Parsha, and that's how our journey, that's how our story begins. Hashem didn't choose Avram. I don't have time to get into this now, but Hashem didn't choose Avram. Avram chose Hashem. We're not the chosen people, we're the choosing people. Avram chose Hashem, and Hashem reciprocated and said, okay, you get it. You understand what the world's all about. So what I intended to do for the whole world, they don't get it. That's the Dora Mabul and Dora Haflaga and Kayin and Havel, and that's Kinataiva and Kavo. They don't get it. You get it. So therefore, because you get it, I will use you and your offspring as a microcosm of what the world was meant to be. But Hashem didn't choose us. He didn't reciprocate that choosing of us in order for us to feel superior, better, more entitled. He chose us because we have a mission. We have what to accomplish. So he begins the story of our collective mission by talking about Avram's specific mission, the mission that we all have of the Lech Lecha. He promises him, I'm going to make you a great name. Ve'yei bracha. You're going to be a bracha. And all of the people of the world will be blessed through you. Why are they called the Mishpachos Ha'adama? They're all going to be blessed through you. I have a thousand things over here. What does it mean, 
So here's the second thing I want to share with you. We're going to get to our section that we're going to study. But the parsha is so rich, there's so much to share. So here's the second. This comes from, um, this comes from Rav Shechter's uh, relatively new sefer, Rav Shechter on the parsha. So Rav Shechter here talks about that Avram's told to go to Israel, there Escha Legoy Gadol, and the Pasuk then says, you'll be blessed by the Mishpachos Adama. Avram's descendants, we are called, somewhat ironically, a Goy, Goy Gadol. We're the Goyim. Ha, huh, we're the Goyim, turns out. We're the Goy. And what are they? They're the Mishpachos Adama. A Mishpacha is a family. They're the families of the earth. The Halacha says that only the Jewish people, we are the only nation that's called a Goy. We say in Mincha, Mika'amcha Yisrael, Goy Echad Ba'aretz. There's only one Goy. Right, again, it's ironic that we call non-Jews the Goyim, some disparagingly, hopefully not disparagingly, but we, it turns out, are the Goy. Goy Echad Ba'aretz, it's a Pasuk in Divrei Yamin. Rabbi Salavechik, Roshechter quotes, explained, the word Goy is related to the word Gvia. A Gvia is a body. Only Kla Yisrael is viewed as a singular entity to which the term Goy may be applied. Rafersh has a similar idea in his commentary as well. So they are Mishpachosa Adama. They're a conglomerate of separate families. But we are a Goy, a Gvia. We are one body. We're one entity. We're one whole. It's something so much more. Rav Yosef Angle demonstrates the concept can be found in the Gemara Nazir. Gemara says Nazirus only applies to one who belongs to a Tzibur. And so a non-Jew can't be a Nazir. A non-Jew is not subject to the laws of Tumah or to the dinam of Nazirus. Why? It's based on a Pasuk that talks about the Isha You're only subject to Tumah and by extension you only qualify to be a Nazir if you're part of a Tzibur. A non-Jew can be part of a mishpacha, a family, a nuclear unit, but they can't be part of a greater unit. There is nothing interconnecting them. They're a conglomerate. You know, American citizens all have in common America, but that's all we have in common. There's nothing more inherent or intrinsic about us. If one of us moves and becomes a citizen of another country and gives up the citizenship to America, there goes that thing that connected us. There's nothing intrinsic. Whereas... Only the Jewish people as a nation scattered across the globe, speaking different languages, living among different cultures, dressing in different ways, but still we are a goy, a gvia, we're one body, we're one entity, we're one whole. Wherever there's a mixed marriage, Rav Shechter writes, in which one parent is a Kohen and Levi, the other is not, the status of the child is determined by the yichus of the father. This is based on the Pasuk, according to the family, according to the father. Same is true regarding non-Jews. When the two parents come from different nationalities, certain nations like the Mitzrim, Edomim, and Malikim have a special status in Allah. If there's an intermarriage between two different nationalities, status of the children is determined based on what the status of the father alone. Why then is it that in a case of a mixed marriage between a Jew and a non-Jew, Rahman al-Tzlan, the lineage does not solely follow the father, right? If Kohen and Levi, Yisrael goes after the father, if Mitzri, Edomi, Amaleki goes after the father, why when a Jewish woman marries a non-Jewish man, why, or a non-Jewish woman marries a Jewish man, why does it follow the mother, not the father? There were three opinions among the Tanaim as to the parental requirement. Both parents be Jewish, either the father or the mother be Jewish, 
or we just follow the mother. First two opinions were rejected over 2,000 years ago, and the accepted opinion, as we know, is only to follow the mother. What about the fourth possibility that wasn't even raised, which was to only follow the father? That wasn't even one of the opinions among the three. It was either only the mother, or either the mother or the father, or both the mother and the father. Why wasn't it even a consideration that you just follow the father? So Shechter writes, the reason seems to be based on the distinction we made above between a goy and a mishpacha. We follow the lineage of the father to determine which mishpacha the child belongs to, both in the case of the non-Jewish mishpachosa adama, as well as in the case of mishpachos kuhuna and leviya. However, determining whether someone is Jewish or not is not a function of mishpacha. It comes, it's a function of goy, of being part of a Jewish nation. He says the same thing is true about gerus and how you join on. He says this is the pshat, I'll just leave you with this. The Gemara Yevamas with our Pasuk, Hashem promises Avram, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. So the uh, Gemara interprets the word like from the word lahavrich. Lahavrich means to graft. And the Medrash says, and both were grafted onto the Jewish people. Converts can join. You can't join a family can marry into a family, but you're still not biologically part of that family. But a goy, you can join. When you convert and join that nation, you are as much of the part of the nation, even as those who were born into it. So it's a fundamental difference. The other nations of the world are mishpachos, whereas we uniquely are goy echad ba'aretz. And along those lines, I'll tell you before we continue, today's the Yeret site of the Piazetzna Rebbe Zatzal, Hashem Yikom Damo, of Kalanamas Kalman Shapira of Piazetzna. He's uh, just a tremendous, tremendous individual. We've studied many of his works together and have made references to him. His Eish Kodesh, which were the sermons he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto. He was killed today, um, the 4th of Cheshvan, in the Traniki labor camp, after losing his whole family. But, uh, but his sermons that he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto were ultimately in a canister. They were buried together with the Onik Shabbos archives, and they were reprinted when they were discovered shortly after the Holocaust. They've been reprinted several times. Just recently, they've been reprinted again, but a scholarly edition really correcting. The original edition was so quick to get out, it wasn't true to the manuscript, the Rebbe's own, own handwriting. And there's a, a greater edition that came out. Also, Dr. Henry Abramson, who used to live here in South Florida, is now a dean of Torah in Brooklyn, just put out last week, I just got the, the book, it's amazing, where he traces these sermons of the Eish Kodesh, of the Piazetna, in the historical context in which they're being given. When you read the Eish Kodesh, when you read the sermons of the Piazetna Rebbe, the drushes he was giving on Shabbos in the Warsaw Ghetto, you would have no idea, he doesn't ever use the word Nazi, Holocaust, so you understand that there's something much more that he's talking about talks about self-sacrifice and the Akedah of today. And he, he's describing, if you understand the context, you can see it in the writing, but he doesn't explicitly reference it. So what Dr. Abramson does is he traces what was going on in the ghetto, in the Holocaust, historically, calendarically, on the Shabbos that it was originally given, and gives the context for the drusha in a really extraordinary fashion. I highly recommend it. Piazetz Rebbe was an extraordinary individual, Rav Moshe Weinberger, whose shul is named Eish Kodesh after the Rebbe, has really promoted his Torah, and since then it's really spread. His Chovah Satamidim, Machsharas Avrechem, his, his um, 
his svarim are, are absolutely incredible. So in Chovas HaTalmidim, in the opening chapter of his Sefer, Chovas HaTalmidim, a student's obligation, which is a student's uh, duty, obligation, it's been translated, he writes the following, I'll read it to you in English, because it should be Nishmaso, and it's relevant to our parsha and what it means to be part of a goy, of a gvia of one body. He writes, if you're discouraged because your immediate ancestry is undistinguished, lift yourself up and gaze beyond, deeper into your past. You are descended from holy men and women, from prophets, from the sages of the Mishnah and Talmud, from great rabbinic masters and tzaddikim. The Talmud states in Sachem, the people of Israel, if they are not prophets themselves, are at least children of prophets. It's clear from the context that the Talmud is not referring to the distant past, but means to suggest that even now a spark of the prophetic power of his ancestors is to be found within every Jewish child. All you have to do is dig for it, and you will discover it within you. A beautiful message of the Rebbe, and as we learn about Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, we should remember our yichus, where we come from, and who we are, and the potential that we have, and what it means to be part of that guy, what it means to be part of that gvia. Somebody uh, just shared with me that uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, someone, Zatzal, was talking to him about someone who he described has no background. So the Rebbe said, what do you mean he has no background? Doesn't he come from Avon, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? So even in the way that we speak, you see that theme. We all have yichus. We all have a great background. It's where we come from. It's what it means to be part of one, of one gvi'a. Um, continuing. Oy. Avram comes to Canaan. And shortly after he's there, he and Sarah head down to Egypt. They come down to Egypt. Um, interestingly, in Egypt... I was thinking that Sarah could write hashtag me too. Her experience uh, in Mitzrayim. I don't mean that in, uh, to make light. I mean it in a serious way. Those issues go back as far as our matriarch Sarah herself. So uh, they come down to Mitzrayim. And the Ramban writes that Avram is accountable for what he did with Sarah. It's a whole separate topic. Or do we have license to criticize the Avos and Imahos? The Ramban certainly felt he had license Though the text doesn't say it, and the Chazal don't say it. The Ramban says that Avram did the wrong thing by Sarah in how he positioned her and what he, and what he did to her. So we have the episode, which really is a precedent. Again, we've spoken about in the past, you could listen online. Our Parsha also launches this dichotomy, this distinction between Eretz Yisrael and Mitzrayim. Not just as geographic locations, but as philosophies of life. You see it in terms of Avram is sent to Canaan, but then he goes down to Mitzrayim. You see it in the sense that Lot, when he turns a direction, which way he's going to go, he's attracted to and he's faced, he, he turns to, excuse me, and he's attracted to the philosophy of Mitzrayim. In our parsha, Hashem tells Avram, your children are going to go down to Mitzrayim. So there's, Mitzrayim is not just a coincidence. It's not randomly on the border of Israel. There's an entire tension between the philosophy of Mitzrayim and the philosophy of Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the land that Hashem's eyes are on constantly. It's the land where we rely only on rain. It requires emuna. Whereas Mitzrayim is irrigated from the Jordan. Mitzrayim is a place that's morally decadent. It's a place that's morally corrupt. It's a place, what did I say? Denial. I'm sorry. It's a place that has resources so that it doesn't feel it needs Hashem and ultimately forgets Hashem. And you see that tension. They return to Eretz Yisrael. Here Avram and Lot run into this uh, philosophical uh, disagreement and they part ways 
they go in a in a different direction. And then we have the war of the kings. Four and five kings. Lot is captured. Avram inserts himself into the war. He's constantly rescuing his nephew Lot. And when he does, uh, at the end, he is uh, awarded and comes to this peace treaty, which in this context, Avram is given a certain name. What's the name that Avram is given? If you look in Perak Yedalad, Perak Yedalad, Pasuk Gimel. It's on page 62. Fugitive came and told Avram, the first time we see this name, he is the Ivri. Why is he called Avram the Ivri? And we too carry that distinction. We too carry that names. So Rashi says the term Ivri means he came from the other side of the river. He's from the other side of town. He's from, he's from out of town. He's from the other side of town. Avram's origin was ur He was an immigrant to Canaan since he came from the other side. He's an immigrant. He's called the Ivri, from the other side. So in the Rabbi Salavetri Chumash, writes, the question arises, however, why are the people described as Hebrews forever? Okay, we're immigrants forever? We're Ivri from the other side of town forever? Can't we get rid of that name? Can't we move on? Why is Hashem called the God of the Hebrews? Why did the prophet Yonah, for example, identify himself as a Hebrew? Apparently the term Hebrew is more than a geographic designation. Hebrew became the symbol of Judaism, of the faith of our nation. According to the Medrash, the Barishas Rabbah, Avram is called Ivri because he stands me'ever echad, as one side, while the rest of the world stands on the other side. Avram took the vision of the creator of a new world order, a new morality, separated himself from the rest of the world ideologically. His descendants continue to carry that title. The Jews have crossed many rivers, lived in many lands, but in a spiritual sense, we have remained rooted over the river on the other side with a heritage of sanctity and purity. So Me'evra means that Avram came from the other side of the river, but we are forever Ivrim, which means we have in our DNA, since we descend from Avram, we have the capacity to be willing to be on the other side. The whole world thinks that the normal culture is to do X. We know that we need to have Y, we have to have the courage to stand on the other side and stand up for modesty, stand up for monotheism, stand up for Jewish values, stand up for definition of marriage, stand up for the principles, the values, even when the whole world shifts and they become on one side, we have in our, ability, we have in our DNA the capacity as the offspring of Avram to be on the other side, may Aver, to be willing to stand up on, on the other side. You know, this notion that we are a goy echad ba'aretz, this notion that we're all the descendants of Avram Avinu, we have the greatest yichus, that we're one body, we're one entity. I'll tell you two things last week are amazing. Last week I had to travel to Sh- twice. I went to Chicago and I had to go to New York. So when I was in Chicago, I davened in the morning in a shul in Chicago, Rabbi Matanki Shulkins. And at the end of davening, they say Tehillim. And uh, then they read Mishabarach for Cholim. I guess they have a list of names. Taking off my talus and fillin', I'm listening with half an ear. And all of a sudden, when they're reading the list of Cholim, I hear a name very familiar to me, Baruch Tzvi ben Rivka somebody from our own community we're all davening very hard for. I literally got goosebumps. I felt I'm halfway across the country in another shul I'd never been in before, in a room full of strangers, and then you hear they're davening for someone they don't know, but they heard. They heard, needs their tefillos. That's what it means to be part of a goy echad ba'aretz. That's what it means to be part of one entity. That's what it means to be interconnected. 
When I flew back, I'm walking through the airport Fort Lauderdale, and there's a Hasidic Shiyid, he walks by me, it was Friday morning, and he says to me, Guten Shabbos. I said, Guten Shabbos. I was blown away again. Why? Normally you see another Jew, you just do like the Jew nod, like, yeah, you know, Jew, Jew, good nod, you keep on walking. I said, Good Shabbos. I said, Good Shabbos. I thought to myself, I had been in four airports that week. Four airports. I walked by thousands of people. We're all Americans, we're all citizens. I even saw some with Yankee hats on. Right? We didn't stop and talk. We didn't exchange a greeting. We didn't connect. We didn't make eye contact. We didn't nod because our interconnection is superficial. It's peripheral. But here I saw this Yid. I don't know his name. I don't know where he's from. I don't know where he's going to. I know nothing about him. But he said, Good Shabbos. And I said, Good Shabbos. You know why? Because we're part of Goyachad Ba'aretz. We're part of one Gvia, one body, one entity, one people. That's what it means. That's what's so special about it. I don't think a Frenchman visits another country and sees another Frenchman, they feel as connected as we do when you're wherever you are in the world and you see a yamka. Oh, there's another from family. Oh, there's a... And you just, oh, it's mishpacha. There's mishpacha. There's goy echad ba'aretz. That's what it means. And it began here in our parsha with Avram Avinu. Sodom is defeated. Lot's taken captive. Avram saves him. They want to give Avram honor. He rejects it. He doesn't take anything. He doesn't want anything. Then we have Hashem reassures Avram, the Brisbane Absarim, all this worthy of great study, some of it which we've studied before. We have Hagar and Yishmael, that uh, Sarah, Sarai at the time, realizes Avram can't realize the dream of progeny, of a future through her, and generously and graciously offers Hagar. Hagar is given the promise of Yishmael. We have new names and a new destiny, the obligation of Bris. Sarah's name is changed. Avram does a bris on Yishmael and his whole household, and that is the end of the parsha. Let's go back to the section we're going to study today, which is Perak uh, Yitzayin Pasuk Aleph, chapter 17, verse 1. It appears on page 72. 72 thank you. Page 72 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Very good. Okay. Vayi Avram and Tishim Shana Shanam. Where are we in the parsha after Hagar and Yishmael? Now Avram is ninety-nine years old. Vayi Avram ben Tishim Shana Vatesha Shanam. Vayir Hashem al Avram vayomer elav ani kel shalikai salich lefanai vayei samim. Avram is ninety years old. Hashem appears to him and he says, "I am," and he gives this enigmatic name. We have to decipher it in a moment. Introduces himself. Walk before me and be tamim. What does be tamim? Be tamimistic. What does to be tamim mean? What? Complete. How is one complete? <coughs> okay, have a family. If you have a family, you're complete. Mila. If you have a Mila, every person with a bris is, is Tamim. Be perfect. Nice. What does that mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Okay, what does that mean? Anyone have a definition which I will understand what it means? Whole. What does that mean? 
whole, complete, perfect. So far, I, I don't understand. What? Potential to be pure. Have the potential to be pure? Oh, so what does Tomim mean? So first of all, let's see Rashi. There is enough within me for everybody, says Hashem. Die. Hashem is perfect. Stop searching, stop looking, stop going elsewhere. Invest and, and, and forfeit yourself entirely to me. So if you invest in me, if you stick with me, if you connect with me, then I will be for you what you're looking for. Because I, I'm die. I everything. I have everything. Die. Like Dayenu, die. I have everything. Die, Dayenu. It all means Hashem is enough. And that's the root. Rashi is telling us, it says Pshat. The root of this name of Hashem, Shin Dalad Yud, Rashi is quoting Chazal, but that the root of this name is Shin Dalad Yud. That name of God is Dai. Whatever you're looking for in the world, you can find it in Hashem. Whatever you need and are relying on from the world, you get it from Hashem. Enough. Hashem is enough. He is everything. He is everything. So therefore, now you understand the, the Pasuk. If Vahi Avram, Avram is 99, Hashem says to him, look, I'm die. I got it all. I'm everything you're looking for. I'm everything you need. I can provide everything you want. And therefore, Hisalech lefanai, Rashi says, ba'avodasi, cling to serving me. You think you're so invested in the stock market? You think you're so invested in the fashion? You think you're so invested in society? You think you're so invested in whatever you're so invested in? Invest in me because I'm in charge of all that. Shin die. I control it all. So if you really care about that, then the best way is cling to dveikus in me. In the Yamunashir on Wednesday mornings, we began last week, we're learning the Slendam Rebbe's Prakim on dveikus. What is this mitzvah of dveikus? What does it mean to cling to Hashem? What is dveikus? The Maharal and Ibn Ezra and others, the Slendam Rebbe quotes, all say that if you reduce all Torah and mitzvahs, they're all an exercise and a platform for achieving dveikus. Why did you sit in a sukkah for dveikus? Why are you listening to the show for dveikus? Why are you wearing a talisman film? Dveikus. Why are you lighting the Shabbos candles? Dveikus. Why are you honest in business and not talking Lashonar? Dveikus. We're spending Wednesday mornings understanding what that means and how we can achieve it. You can listen online if you can't make it in person. But dveikus, here you could add this Rashi to his, the Islam Rebbe's collection of Makoros. Because here he writes, Hisalech lefanai. Because I'm Shin Dalad Yud, Hisalech lefanai. Hidaveik ba'avodasi. Cling to, stick to, the root of the word dveikus is Dalad Bey's kuf, devek. Devek is, in modern Hebrew, glue. Hashem says, stick to me. Like glue. Stick with me, stick to me, and I'll have your back. And now you understand what ve'yei samim means. What is ve'yei samim? How are you whole or complete? Be complete in all of my tests. And how is one complete in tests? By relying and having faith and leaning and depending on Hashem. How are you whole? You know how you're whole with Hashem? When you don't also believe, bless you in superstition, and you don't also subscribe to nonsense and narishkeit 
and put your faith in other things. When you put your faith in other things, you're believing in Narishkeit. Revol Bezatzah writes, Revol writes, there's a very danger, big danger in being Tamimistic. Yeveye Samim is to be Tamimistic. Tamimistic is like innocent, pure. What happens sometimes to people who are innocent and pure, they can be taken for a ride. So the innocent or pure person thinks that I can, I'm going to do that uh, superstition. I'm going to listen to that fake makubal. I'm going to follow that, that. That's not what it means. We are people that don't believe in astrology or astronomy. We don't believe in horoscopes and superstitions. We don't believe in this nonsense. We, there's Torah prohibitions against witchcraft and, and against kishuf and against all of these things. Ve'yesamim means don't invest yourself in that. Don't read fortune cookies. Eat the cookie. Be humored by the, by the company wrote as the fortune inside, but don't believe, wow, I can't believe I got this just today when I'm going through this thing and it must mean that. That's kishuf. That's, that's not ve'yesamim. Ve'yesamim. Tamim yem. Hashem lo'kecha. Hesalech lefana ve'yesamim means Dalad Yud. That there's enough in Hashem. You don't need horoscopes. You don't need red bendels. You don't need INR. You don't need shtick. You don't need all the shtick. You look around at the Jewish world. Everyone knows I rail on this at least twice a year. You look around at the Jewish world and there are people neglecting the real thing for fake things. Hashem is the biggest school. We have 613 schools called mitzvahs. I say this example all the time. Every day in shul I see people come late talk while they're in shul, leave early, but before they leave, they open up and read their Pitamak Torahs from a cloth because there's one mucker, the Kafachayim, who says it's a school of Parnassah. So they neglect. <laughs> it happens to be a whole halachic shayla, you're not supposed to write a parsha on a cloth separate from all of the parshios, but leave aside the halachic challenge of it. But you come late to shul, you talk while you're in shul, you have no kavana while you're daven, you run out early, and you think because you embrace the school, that's going to do it for Parnassah. You want Parnassah? Have some kavana during Baruch Aleinu. You have an audience with the King of Kings. It's like sitting in the Oval Office and you're neglecting the President because you're texting because somebody said if you forward this message to 10 other people, then the President will definitely listen to what you have to say. So you tell the President, listen, just be quiet. Just stand over there. One minute. I'll be with you in a minute. I'm sorry I'm late and I got to go already, but I got to forward this message to 10 other people because I heard that if I forward a message to 10 other people, then the President listens to me. The President looks at you and says listen to you. Now I have no interest in you. So that's what Samim means. Because Ani Kel Shakai, because I am Dalad Yud, because I'm enough for you. I should be enough for you. If I'm not enough for you, then I'm not really interested in you. So the greatest way to achieve whatever we want out of that skula is to realize that the biggest skula is Amun and Bitachon. The biggest skula are Torah and Mitzvahs. And we're an Am Segula. You think the Mepharshim on the Pasuk, Am Segula, say, we're a nation that wear red bendels. No. Am Segula means we're a nation that are Osik Betorah and Mitzvos. That's what, that's what it means. Rashi expands, Some of you are alluding to it. Maybe a Salach Lafani, we're about to read in this section, Avram's charge to go get a bris. Avram is not yet perfect. He's not yet done. He bought the suit, the label's still on it. You got to take the label off to finish the suit. The threads, sometimes the fancier suit have these threads you got to pull out. It's the last way to complete the suit. So Hashem says, Go now and do that last act. And then you will be perfect. As long as you have the orla on you, you're a balmum. 
So how are you veyesamim? That's how you're veyesamim when you will go when you will go remove it. Okay. The Ibn Ezra has a different shot in this name. Writes the Ibn Ezra. Migzeras Shodate. Shin Dalad Yud. Rashi played on the Dalad Yud component of the Shin Dalad Yud. The Ibn Ezra sees the Shin Vav Dalad Dalad. Shodate. Which means to vanquish or to overpower. Shodate. Shuhum umizgaber. God is he's the most powerful. He is the mightiest. He is the source of absolutely everything. Rasalavichik writes in his Chumash, the Medrash records how prior to his circumcision, Avram mingled with others and gathered many adherents. When Hashem commanded him to become circumcised, Avram was concerned that an insurmountable barrier would be placed between him and his neighbors. Hashem responded, It is sufficient for you, Dayecha, that I am your God. God assured Avram by explaining that if one has a relationship with Hashem, then needs no one else to obtain fulfillment. Hashem, in essence, responded to Avram, You may lose others, but you'll never lose me. The name Shin Dalad Yud is explained by Rashi as a composite of Ani, Hushiyesh Dai Be'alukusi L'chobriya. At first, Avram thought that his mandate was to convert the entire world. His mission was primarily a universal one as a father of multitude. Avram traveled through large segments of the civilized world to spare monotheism. He thought that he would complete the process in his lifetime. The Almighty told him, Die! Enough! Suggesting a limit to the expansion of Avram's circle of followers. A limitation that would result from his circumcision. God's plan was instead to develop a nation, small in number, but powerful in path. Very interesting. So by now revealing himself to Avram, until this point, the nefesh asher asu b'charon came earlier in the parsha. Avram and Sarah were transformative leaders already. They ran the first megashul. They had an arena of 50,000 people. They preached to every Shabbos. Avram and Sarah were transforming the world. And now Hashem introduces himself to Avram and he says, Good! I want you to kickstart monotheism in the world. But your main mission is not to transform the world. You have a much more narrow mission. And that narrow mission, the symbol of it is that I'm introducing you now with my name of Dai, Dalad Yud. He was telling Avram, Dayecha. Dai, it's enough with trying to change the world. Now, your offspring, your family, your children, it's time to invest in them. The name refers to Hashem specifically in his role of performing miracles. The Chida explains that the name derives from the fact that Hashem is Mishaded, the laws of nature. He causes them to be broken in order to bring about such miracles. Along similar lines, by using different etymological root, Ibn Ezra says Shaddai is derived from the word Shoded, robber, expressing the notion that God robs the laws of nature in order to fulfill his word. Very powerful. Hashem tells Avram, Avram, you are, you're a people person. You have lots of friends. I know I'm asking you to embrace a value system and a lifestyle which may alienate you from your friends. But I don't want you to ever think you're alone. You are never, ever alone because you always have me. At the end of our Yom HaShoah program last year, when I was interviewing Martin Judovitz, should be well, and I asked him, after you lost your parents, your siblings, your spouse, after you lost everything in Auschwitz, how did you have Amuna? How did you have faith? How did you keep going? And he said... He said, you know, I lost my biological parents. I had no father or mother. Should I lose my father in Shemayim too? Of course, what kind of a question? I only had one father left. What was I going to walk away from him? It's the most powerful, one of the most powerful things I ever heard. And that's what Hashem is telling Avram. No matter what happens to you in this world, no matter what happens to you in this world, whoever abandons you or whoever loses this world, leaves this world, whatever people are alienated from, know 
Dayecha, Dai, Shin Dalad Yud. That name of God is that you'll always have me and I should be enough for you. Not bad. We did one Pasuk today. Not bad. Let's keep going. We're going to try to double our, our uh, record this year so far. Pasuk base. And I put this bris between me and you. And I set this bris. And I will increase you most exceedingly. I will make you great. Avram falls on his face. And God speaks to him. Avram now falls on his face. And God speaks to him. Rashi says. Etna brisi. What bris is this? Bris shal ava. Bris haaretz. Lo rishu mitzvah zu. This is a love, a covenant of love. Brisbane Absarim doesn't have a whole lot of love. Brisbane Absarim is filled with fear. Brisbane Absarim is, you're going to be a slave nation for hundreds of years. That, that's, Brisbane Absarim is, uh, is very uh, scary. So this Rashi says in distinction, this ne- next bris, Vetna Brisi, is bris shal ava. It's a bris of love. It's a promise of the land. Vaipol avram apanav, mimora hashchina. Out of a fear for the Shekhinah, he falls on his face. Here God's talking to him, but until he had his bris, until he was shalom begufo, until he was complete, he didn't have the energy, the strength to stand when he was receiving nevuah. So he fell. He fell on his, on his face. Something interesting in this Pasuk that's not happened until now, and that is, this is the first time that Hashem spoke to Avram where he reveals himself with the name Elohim. Until now in Lech Lecha, it's been revealing himself using the name Yudke Vavke. Elohim was not mentioned at all. It's only in the context of the mitzvah of Bris that Elohim is used. And Rabbi Soloveitchik suggests that maybe this is because Elohim is used entirely in the first parak of Bracious, the chapter dealing, detailing creation. Through the mitzvah of Bris, the idea of man's self-creation comes to expression. What is foreskin if not waste remaining on one's body, refuse that man can remove himself? Circumcision symbolizes the partnership of man and God in creation. So here we have the use of the name of Hashem that we saw only back in Brishis, in Briyas Olam in creation, to tell us God began creation using that name, and now God is recruiting Avram to be his partner in creation. He didn't finish. The bris is our expression of being a partner with Hashem in creation. That's our charge. That's our task. That's what we are accomplishing. That's why we have, that's done through the bris, through the blood. The blood of the bris is our willingness to sacrifice. It's Mesiris Nefesh. Where else do we have blood from Mesiris Nefesh with the Jewish people? Mitzrayim, the willingness to put the blood on the doorpost. The Navi Yechezko captures this. We say it at every bris. With the blood of bris milah and with the blood of Mitzrayim, that's how our people live. What do they have in common? It's the exact same theme. Why didn't Hashem needed us to tell him which was a Jewish house and which wasn't? He couldn't go on Google Maps and figure it out. Hashem had no idea why we had to put the sign on the outside of the door. The Almighty, Omnipotent, Infinite, this Shindalad Yud, Shakai, who can do everything, Dayecha, he couldn't figure out which was a Jewish home. Elamai, what's the answer? Hashem says, Look, I'll take you out of Mitzrayim. You need to have skin in the game. Pun intended, I guess. You need to have skin in the game. I'll take you out of Mitzrayim. You have to be my partner. What are you willing to do? What are you? 
Well, you, what, what risk are you willing to take? Are you willing to slaughter the God of the Egyptians? You willing to identify your home with putting a, the blood on the doorpost? You take a risk. You show me you're my partner. I'm in. I'll finish it up. I'll redeem you. Brismila, same thing. Hashem says, I created you. I brought you into this world. Now be my partner in creation. Finish the job. Be my partner and finish the job. And this is why we get up when we open the door for Eliyahu Navi. Uh, we say this vort. Why do you have to get up? Eliyahu Navi can't come through the chimney. Eliyahu Navi can't walk through walls. He can be in every house simultaneously, but he needs me to open the door for him. Again, what, what's the idea? Eliyahu Navi is coming to bring a message of redemption. I can't expect redemption if I'm not willing to get up off my chair. I can't sit back reclining in my couch waiting for the gula. I have to get up off the couch. I have to get up off the chair. Hashem says, using the name Elohim, a throwback to creation, be my partner in creation, be my partner in redemption. Pasuk Dalen. As for me, this is my promise. You're going to be a father of many nations. Your name is no longer Avram. Your name is now Avraham. This is the, the name change and the, and the role change as well. I'm quoting the Rav a lot because I like his new Chumash today. We don't only study the Rav, but today tapping into the new Chumash. He writes, With the emergence of Avram, the founding of a new kind of community, the covenantal one, the vague role of fatherhood and the all-observing experience of motherhood were redeemed. Fatherhood in the covenantal society is the great educational commitment to the Mesorah, the tradition, the freely assumed obligation to hand down, to pass on the covenant, a message, a code, a unique way of a life, a tradition of Mishpat Utsdaka. In the covenantal community, the father is promoted to teacher, and his role as ipso facto is shifted from the periphery to the center, on par with that of the mother. No more should a childless couple feel desolate and forsaken because the Almighty has not blessed them, the barren woman may lack the natural motherhood experience, but she can attain covenantal, if not natural, motherhood by choice, by commitment, by helping others, by contributing towards the strengthening of the covenantal community, by exposing children of other parents to the word of Hashem. When the letter He was added to Avram's name, he became Avraham, the father of many nations, the spiritual father of all he taught. Natural procreative Abrahamic parenthood was denied to the childless couple, yet the creative Avram parenthood is a challenge which everyone is summoned to meet. So to be the father, the Av Hamon Goyim, means that we can be a father. We just had this in the Daf. And when you teach someone else Torah, you're their parent. So we have the ability, when we teach others Torah, to walk in the footsteps of Avram, who's the Av Hamon Goyim, the fatherhood that's not a biological fatherhood, but the fatherhood of being a teacher and the fatherhood of being a, of being a guy. And you're going to spread, you're going to promulgate. There'll be many that come from you. You'll be fruitful. And kings will descend from you. Who are these kings that will descend from you? Knesset Israel, the Jewish people. It's talking about the greatness and the role and the responsibility that we have. To fulfill this bris, and Hashem will be their God. 
And where will you do this? Where will you fulfill this vision? Avram began by being, transforming the entire globe. Now Hashem narrows him down and says, now focus, dayecha, it's enough, die, it's enough. Now retreat and focus on your family, create a mini nation. Create one nation among the nations who will be a microcosm of, for the world. And where will you do that? Where will they realize that? In Eretz Canaan. Hashem tells him, Now observe my bris. And this is the bris. Here's the first task. Here's the first mission. I want you to circumcise yourself. Rashi says, Whoever exists now, so this obligation of a bris applies to you now and to all who will be born after you. After you. And why are you doing this? The Sforno writes, Laos bris. What's the reason for it? Zikaron t'midi laleches bidracha It is a permanent sign that you're walking in the way of Hashem. All of Torah and mitzvahs are there to transform the physical into spiritual. There is no greater symbol there's no greater opportunity to transform the purely physical into spiritual than where the makam habris takes place. The sexual urge and appetite of man is something which can be base and animalistic. It can bring one down. Or if channeled in the most appropriate way, it can be transformative and elevating in the right context, in the procreative context, in an intimate, loving marriage context, and so on. And the Rambam has to include the laws of... Uh, of uh, of uh, no, where does he put these laws? The laws of intimacy. Which book of his 14 books does the Rambam put it in? He puts it in his book of Kedusha. Why? Because in other religions, you take a vow of celibacy, of abstinence. How do you become holy? By not engaging in physical pleasure. In our religion, holiness is absolutely engaging in physical pleasure, but transforming it to being a spiritual experience, elevating it from the realm of the physical to the realm of the spiritual. So when the Rambam lists he lists it intentionally, categorizes it among Kedusha, in the volume of Kedusha. Because for us, we don't abstain, for us we engage, but we elevate, we uplift. That's why the bris takes place, dafka, where it is. It's a symbol that that's our entire mission, is to do that in every which way. The way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we talk, the way we engage, the way we do commerce. Eight days, you lead bias, miknas kesef. Everyone has to have it at eight days old. And at the end of the parsha, Avram Taka has his bris. Avram is 99 years old. We'll end with this. Who did Avram's bris? Who was Avram's mall? Who was Avram's mall? So, Pasuk doesn't say. It says, We're now Perkid Zion Pasuk Chavdalad. It says, Behimolo. Behimolo is. Notice the diktuk, Behimolo. Doesn't say it's ambiguous. When he was circumcised. So, the Pirkid Rebeliezer and Tosos Rosh Hashanah Yid Aleph both say Avram's bris happened on Yom Kippur. The bris, the first bris ever took place on Yom Kippur. 
In the Pirkei, the Rebbe Yezer says, the Moal was Shem ben Noach. Noach's son, Shem. He was the Moal. Rashi quotes a different interpretation. That's the Pirkei, the Rebbe Yezer. Rashi quotes another Pshat. Behimolo, not al Avram sakin v'achaz bo'orloso. Avram did it on himself. Rotzalachtoch v'ayah misyarish ayazakin. But he was 99 years old. 99, you don't have the steadiest hand. He got a little nervous. His hand was shaking. Hashem grabbed Avram's hand and did it together with him. So either Pirkei Lezer says, Shem ben Noach, Rashi quotes the Chazal, that Hashem grabbed Avram's hand and did it together, and did it together with him as, uh, as well. A lot more to talk about. I intended on talking about a lot more, but we have to stop here. Have a great week. Always next year. Mirza